Before we start, a quick content note. This episode contains accounts of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, suicide, and racism. You'll also hear some swearing. Previously on American Prodigies. We definitely overtrained. It was like the way things were done then. You just keep training and going until something breaks. If it doesn't break, that means you're really strong and you're going to be a champion. You know, when something like this happens, USA Gymnastics, you know, the higher ups say, well, where were the parents? The parents are the ones that are supposed to keep them safe. Part of Gabby's style that is so beautiful to watch even now, even reviewing, going back, watching her, is she's so crisp, she's so technical, it's so beautiful. Her floor routines are stunning without music because I hate all of her musical choices. And when you could compete on your terms, what music you like that moved you and you can move how you naturally want to move. I got tunes. <laughs> In 2016, Sofina De Jesus scored a 9.925 out of 10 on her epic floor routine for the UCLA gymnastics team. Even if you don't follow gymnastics, you actually might recognize the name. And after what yeah. she did this weekend, Mike, millions more know the name. Sofina put on a jaw-dropping performance on Saturday as her Bruins hosted Utah in a top 10 showdown at Poly Pavilion. This was her first floor routine actually of the season. And let's just say she nailed it. You might remember Sofina as that girl, who clearly understood the assignment when she was in a dance battle on Hip Hop Harry way back when. Sofina took that dance training and infused her floor routine with black music and black dance moves. She's part of the first wave of black gymnasts that got UCLA noticed for their bomb ass floor routines. Okay, speaking of that viral video, will you watch it with oh me? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I, I go like this every time someone watches it when I'm like with them. But it's like, so it's, I just, I, I want to watch it. Okay, okay. <laughs> right off the bat, like, I just love the blue. Thank you. Oh, and that's another thing that I did. I was like, I really want to be my own person and, and be new. So I found like a blue hairspray and I was like, well, everyone's going to notice me because I have no normal blue hair. <laughs> yeah, no, you're noticeable. <laughs> In 2020, four years after Sofina graduated from UCLA, Nia Dennis would strut onto the scene and continue in Sofina's footsteps with a viral video of her own. You hate watching yourself back? No, I actually do enjoy it. All right, cool. Can you watch your routines with me? Yeah, I would love to. What a fun routine. These two women's careers parallel each other. Both Sofina and Nia love being in front of a crowd. I love performing, so I love showing off. I love attention. I've always known that I want to be a performer and I am a performer. <laughs> Both showed Olympic promise early on in their careers. Um, and then at one point, um, the coaches already were like, oh yeah, she's gonna go Olympics. My coaches were like, you are so talented. You need to start doing like elite gymnastics, training for the Olympics. Both decided to go to college when they were very young. So I knew at around 11, 12 years old that I always wanted to go and compete for college gymnastics. I actually verbally committed. I think I was like, uh, um, I think I was 13. And they were both drawn to collegiate gymnastics because it gave them things they weren't getting in the elite systems they were part of, like cheering and camaraderie. What you see on TV and the, the teammates yelling and screaming and stuff, that, sure, that, that was definitely fun. Cheering is definitely one of the biggest things because in elite gymnastics, cheering wasn't so common. I absolutely loved that the crowd was cheering with me and screaming, get a 10, and I was high-fiving them. Like, that energy will always stick with me. And they both experienced a whirlwind of celebrity after their videos went viral. I looked at my phone because I didn't have my phone and it was like blowing up. Took a little nap and I woke up and my phone was going crazy, like ding, 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 like nonstop. I got to go on Ellen for the second time in my life. Like literally I was shook, got a shout out from, oh, bummer, what? But before all of this happened, before the college acceptances and the viral videos and the Ellen Show appearances, before the celebrity, it wasn't all glitz and glamour. Both of these women experienced turmoil, disappointment, injury, mental health challenges, and physical setbacks. 
Gymnastics did to Sofina and Nia what gymnastics has done to so many Black prodigies before them. I'm Amira Rose Davis. In this week's episode, I talked to Sofina and Nia and their moms about how they navigated elite gymnastics and how and why they transitioned to competing for UCLA. We talk about the joy that came with their viral videos after spending years in a system that broke them down physically and mentally. We talk about struggle and we talk about healing. We also see how leaving the elite world for college doesn't mean leaving all the mess behind. In reality, UCLA and other collegiate gymnastic programs are, well, more of the same. Many Black gymnasts are still dealing with racism behind the scenes. But Sofina De Jesus and Nia Dennis ushered in a new age in gymnastics, all while finding and remaining true to themselves. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hey everyone, we're giving away three custom American Prodigy windbreakers. To enter, click the link in the episode description and sign up for the Blue Wire newsletter. The newsletter gives you a sneak peek at content, merch giveaways, and opportunities to win cold, hard cash. The American Prodigy giveaway closes April 2nd and will announce the winners on April 11th. Opening front double full. Oh my goodness. I'm like embarrassed watching myself. <laughs> well, I think so many of the fans that come to these meets wait for this event yep. and these routines, and you can see why. They do these big tumbling passes and then put on a show in between. Oh. Stuck that landing. Yes, she did. I think this was like my first time <laughs> I've ever like stuck the pass this hard. This is my favorite Whoa. part. Like, you can hear it. <laughs> I love when they know choreography. <laughs> they had to watch it every day. <laughs> Student section going crazy. De Jesus already has a pair of 985s on bars and beam. Combination. I want wow. to do this so badly and drop into this flick because I never saw anyone else do it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Man, I don't think we've seen that, right? This is her first floor of the year. That's the first time I've seen it in oh, person. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I don't know. It had just about everything. <laughs> well, it was fun to watch. Right, that was one thing that I absolutely loved about college is that you could go crazy with the salutes. Then she went into her hip-hop moves. <laughs> and salutes the crowd. <laughs> Look, I can't take oh my it. God. <laughs> then then she went then. into her hip hop move. It's so funny how people like say those things. It's like, huh. If you've been listening to this series regularly, by now you know there have been many moments that left Black gymnasts wondering, what the fuck is going on? Sophina and Nia are no exception. Coaches made them feel different. And so I went all out in my floor routine and like I did like a wink and I was like, you know, and I was doing the most. And then at the end, you know, um, Marta Crowley was like, you know, that was really nice, Sophina, but like, you know, tone it down just a little bit, you know, don't wink, you know. And I'm like, oh, OK. So it, 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 it was different because I went from being able to do what I did to like realizing what the real like elite world was like. <laughs> and again, being feeling like an outsider and this aspect. Um, I was never really this skinny gymnast. Um, I was powerful. I had muscles. I had some curves. Um, and that always got me a lot of comments from coaches. Uh, you need to lose weight. You're not fit. You're not in shape. Um, you can't make it to the next level if you don't lose weight. And their teammates made them feel different. There were a lot of comments when it came down to like chalk, because, you know, we use chalk so we don't slip and sweat and everything. 
So there was comments about uh, the chalk s- sticking out so much on my skin. Like, wow, you're so chalky. You look like you can almost be white. Like, think like a lot of kind of like ignorant comments, just side comments that, you know, eventually got to me and started to like really add up over time. I did my baby hairs and like someone was like, oh, ew, do you use that toothbrush on your teeth too? That's so disgusting. And I was like, that made me feel insecure. I was a little girl, you know? I was like, no, I, I, I don't. I was so defensive. I was like, I don't do that. I have another toothbrush for my teeth. And- Can we take a moment to appreciate that Sophina knew how to lay down her edges? I mean, Black gymnasts before her have talked about how much they struggled with styling their hair. But Sofina's mother, Maria de Jesus, was not going to let her baby go off to Houston without knowing how to do her own hair. I asked, could I go to the camps? No, no parents are not allowed at the, at the camps. So when she would go to camp, I kid you not, I'm like, this is what you do with your hair because I'm not going to be there to slay your hair. In 2014, Nia was invited to the Pan Am International Meet in Canada. While there, Dietra Dennis, Nia's mom, was also prohibited by coaches from communicating with her. It was such a, a um, something to that was just baffling to me that that coaches and you know the Carolis were in charge of my child, and um, I couldn't have access to her. That was just really mind blowing. Isolating child athletes from their families is normal in gymnastics. This destructive protocol creates opportunities for coaches, doctors, and other gym staff to abuse and neglect gymnasts. Like Sophina, Nia and her family were new to the sport. I don't know much about this sport. I don't really know what I'm looking at. I just know she flipped, she landed. Every girl looks like they're flipping and landing, so I'm not exactly sure what looks different about my daughter, but uh, whatever the judges saw, they liked, and she would, she would oftentimes win. Maria and Dietra each did what they thought was best for their daughters. But there's something about protecting, you know... A mama bear, right? So I was that bear. Maria was not the one to mess with. When she felt her daughter was being mistreated, she put her in a new gym. I quit like 10 gyms, okay? So at one point I heard that she was pushed, she was hit, all this stuff happened. Um, And the parents knew about it. So I was so upset. So when she went to school, that's when I went up to the gym. And that's when I went crazy on the coaches, on the parents and the, the kids. And I just told the coach, if I ever find out someone put their hands on my child again, is going to be a lot of problems. It wasn't the statement, I mean, she's black, so she should be able to fight or something like that, or protect herself. Yes, well, I told you that because you wouldn't understand between the lines. He looked at me, and he, st- and he got this really mean look, and he said, she don't look like she can't fight. Like, basically, you don't need any protection because you're black. And so right there told me that you were not going to be safe at that gym. Maria also had to protect Sofina from extreme dieting. So she would come in with pizza. You know, all the other parents was like, oh my God, she's walking in with pizza. We, we got to stay on a diet. What? At seven years old? My kid's not going to be on no diet at seven. And Dietra followed the coach's instructions. I remember coaches asking me, well, Dietra, what are you feeding her? What is she eating? What's her, what are her meals? That was a conversation on the regular basis. And then also... Um, my parents, you know, they, like I said, they sacrificed a lot. So they were listening to the coaches, but, um, you know, may not have been the best thing for me in the time. Um, I was doing some extreme extra training outside of the training that I was already doing in the gym. And my parents were taking it seriously, put on extreme diets and, you know, not really living my life at all. That all sort of stemmed from the ranch and um, being isolated from our gymnast and um, them having to thrive, learn, grow, do this sport all under the regime of the Carolis. And the eating and body issues were made even worse by misinformation about puberty. Body shaming is definitely a huge topic in the sport of gymnastics. 
there was like this rumor when I was a kid um, that like if you started your period, that means that you gained weight. And I remember when I fractured my back, I wasn't doing gymnastics anymore. And that's when I started my period and I was crying. I was like, that means I'm fat. That I just was going on and I'm like 15 years old saying all these things. Deetra followed instructions and trusted that the gymnastics experts would do what was best for Nia. But basically, it was a lot of me asking, well, how did it go? Did you hit your routine, your, your beam routine? Oh, you fell? Oh, what did, what did Marta say about that? What did your coach say about that? So we were asking a lot of questions about the, the sport when we should have been asking other questions because uh, there was a mental health component that was also emerging now. Um, It did get to a point where I remember she was probably 10 or 11 years old and she's going to these camps regularly now and she's packing and I'm kind of excited. I'm like, oh, it's time for time to go to camp. And she would she just started crying. She just started bawling. And I said, well, what's wrong? And she's like, I just I don't want to go. She she wanted to go, but she didn't want to go. And there was something there. And at that time, I just chalked it up to the pressure. Dietra has a vivid memory of another exceptional Black gymnast, Elizabeth Price, or EB, as she's often called. She was also a prodigy whose career started with the same finesse as Nia's. Yeah, I think I realized it around the ages of like seven or eight because I was able to pick up skills faster than my teammates. I was scoring higher than my teammates at competitions, bringing home the most medals, uh, stuff like that. So that definitely, you know, was a clear indication to a kid when you're bringing home the most medals and on the podium the most that you're better than the other kids that are there with you. E.B. competed at the 2012 Olympic trials. Deetra was there and E.B.'s performance made an impact on her. I remember watching her at the Olympic trials. She came in fourth place and I'm like, she's going to make the Olympic team. And when her name was not called, I specifically asked her aunt about that moment. She said something to the effect of Evie's not going to worry about that. She's going to go to college. She's going to Stanford and she's moving on. I remember hearing moving on and I'm thinking, you don't just move on from gymnastics because you've literally dedicated your entire life. Your entire life just revolves around gymnastics. Evie did move on and continued to compete on Stanford University's gymnastics team. Her plan A was never the Olympics. I mean, I think like my story is a little different from a lot of other girls because the Olympics was never at the top of my to-do list. Actually, I don't think it was ever on my to-do list. Um, I mean, obviously, once I got to that level, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I, you know, I worked this hard. I deserve to go. Um, yada, yada. But I was not sticking around for another Olympics because that was not my goal. And I always wanted to go to college, become an engineer. Why engineering? My parents were both engineers. Okay. And- <laughs> I've been so confused. <laughs> While EB and her family already had their eyes set on EB's engineering career, Deetra was trying to make sense of why EB was not selected for the 2012 Olympic team. EB instead was named an alternate. Maybe because of her color, maybe because of her body type, maybe because of her image, she wasn't selected. Those are the things that crossed my mind. And I thought, well, is Nia going to be in that same level of consideration because she's also a Black athlete? She doesn't have all that flexibility, those those lines, those long lines as the other white gymnasts, for example. But she's got the muscle tone and she's got the explosiveness and she's got the power and, you know, she can tumble really, really great, just like E.B. Price. And so when, you know, when that didn't happen for E.B., it definitely was something that I had to take into consideration as well. Even after seeing how E.B. was treated, Dietra continued to follow the coach's instructions, like most parents do. It's also what most gymnasts do, but not all. Right before the 2012 Olympics, Sofina fractured her back at the Caroli camp. At first, Sofina was examined by Larry Nasser. The doctor would call at the house all the time. At, the, right. at that time, that's when Sofina hurt her back, though. So I'm thinking, wow, they must really want Sofina. Because <laughs> why is the doctor? And then oh, I start yeah. thinking, why is the doctor only talking to Sofina and not me? Nasser said she was fine. But Sofina kept complaining about her back. 
So Maria decided to seek out her own consultation. Three months of pain and three doctors later, Sofina was finally diagnosed. And finally went to the third doctor and he was like, it's obvious you have a fracture. So you should have been staying off of this. So I think it was more frustrating because I was still trying to train on something that was really hurting me. Right. Instead of three months ago, I could have still been fine and recovering from then. Was that third doctor a gymnastics doctor or outside doctor? No, outside doctor. Yeah, that says a lot. It does say a lot, exactly. But I think if it wasn't for my mom specifically and me constantly telling her that I really am in pain, that I wouldn't have gone to another doctor and another doctor and, you know, she wouldn't have fought for me. And if I would have just stayed there, then maybe it would have gotten worse and stuff. This might seem like such a simple thing. If your back hurts, tell your parents. But we've already heard, going back even before the 1980s, that athletes are expected to keep their mouths shut. Well, in gymnastics, they tell you, they literally tell you, they meaning coaches, they say not to show any any hurt, any physical pain. And of course, you're never going to show any emotional pain if you cannot even show your, your physical pain. This is why Sophina's complaining about her pain and Maria's decision to get a second and third opinion is so remarkable. How important was your mom in like shielding you and protecting you as you navigated, you know, these elite spaces? Yeah, I mean, she, my, my dad was amazing, he, but he was worked a lot. So he was the provider in that sense. So my mom traveled everywhere with, everywhere with me. In general, my mom was there. She still is there. I wouldn't be the person I am today without her. Um, she's my best friend and my mentor and my manager and my, like literally everything, even though I have like other people. Um, so that was someone I feel like I could always go to and I never, I, I never couldn't tell her about something that was bothering or that I needed help on and stuff. Because of her injury, Sofina was no longer a contender for the 2012 Olympics. Was it hard to feel like timing wise, this is what I've been working for and now it's disrupted this plan? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely cried. Cried. In, like, I, I specifically remember crying in the car with my mom. Um, but... I also, I, I try not to like regret anything and stuff like that. So I, I feel like everything has a reason and a purpose. Um, I was blessed to get a full ride scholarship to UCLA. If it wasn't for my back injury, I wouldn't have been able to go to prom and join the dance team and really get back to like that portion of myself that like had left in a way. Um, so everything definitely happens for a reason. And I'm thankful for both sides. And I feel like my viral moment was like my Olympic moment at that time. So. I still got it. <laughs> Nia's Olympic dreams were pushed aside in a very similar way to Sofina's. Leading up to the 2016 Olympics, Nia's Achilles tore. Yeah, it was absolutely devastating, devastating to our whole family, but especially obviously to Nia. I mean, she literally watched her dreams go down the tube because she had done everything, everything to get and, and to put forth all of her effort to try to get to this Olympics. Um, she homeschooled. She gave up having a social life and she trained her hardest all the time. That was the worst time of my career, honestly. So it was three months before the Olympics and my coaches kind of were pushing me to make it to Olympic trials when I already knew that I could not do that because it was just too, it was just too soon after surgery. And I was just not prepared at all. And it's hard to say that when you've worked so hard for that moment. And gymnastics, you know, as, as it's tied to the Olympics is so hard because it's tied to the four-year cycle. At that time, she would ret retreat to her room all the time. Uh, we would go in there, we would try to engage with her, and it was just the sadness, this deep, deep sadness, which I now am calling it depression. Um, we didn't label it as that before. We didn't see a therapist or anything like that. We just tried to, you know, talk to her as much as possible and reassure her, um, you know, she has a great future still ahead. I struggled with depression. I struggled with suicide. Uh, I struggled with a lot of things. And to be able to go have a safe space where I wouldn't feel judged from anybody or judgment from anything, you know, that really helps get me on track. It never seemed like she 
was ever truly happy during the, the remaining years until she actually went off to college at UCLA. And then that's when she started to open up again. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I grew up in a small city uh, called Temecula, which is actually majority white. And so um, personally, I didn't really notice um, because that was what I was used to, gymnastics, dance, um, and even like where I was living, I didn't notice until one day um, I got a dance audition and my mom had to take us to LA and we got scared of like, we got scared of something pretty much I think we got scared of a black person and um my mom is black and she was like oh hell no that you're not gonna be scared of your own people oh no let's take it back to the early 2000s at the beginning of Sophina's gymnastics and dance careers her mom Maria opened a dance studio so Sophina and her sister could train and be exposed to black culture because if it wasn't for the studio, I don't think we would have been able to keep up all of our dancing and stuff like that with going to school and auditions and stuff like that. It would have been too much to travel to LA for auditions and stuff and go to practice and go back to LA for dance classes. No, we need to have that in, in Tobacco. So, I mean, we laugh about it and all that. I mean, I won those dance battles because yes, of it. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yes, you did. It's, well, it's really interesting to see, too, of course, like, you know, people like Simone Biles are, you know, they built their own gym, and part of the reason was similar. And, like, if you don't have all these spaces or you can't get to them or you don't trust the people in them, you create your own. Right. Absolutely. Maria built her own community. Her studio offered a space for Sofina to thrive. Fast forward to 2013. Sofina started her first year at UCLA. The transition wasn't easy. Elite gymnastics offered structure. Her mother offered protection. And at UCLA, neither one of these things were easily available to Sophina. You know, I was like 17 going into college, and I don't know if I was fully ready because as a as an elite gymnast, I didn't realize I was like eating so healthy because my mom always packed everything, right? Going into college... Everything was already scheduled. And at that point, it was like not scheduled in a way. Um, and dining hall food is freaking amazing. So I I went crazy um, in, in every, not in every aspect, but um, yeah, like I, I, I gained like 20 pounds in college. Um, and then on top of that, like Everyone, I've never gone to a party before. Everyone was partying and stuff like that. And I just, I wasn't used to that. I had never said a cuss word before. Um, I had never had a kiss before. Uh, so like, it was like, I didn't do anything that normal kids my age had done. Um, so going into college and seeing people do that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is weird, but I'm not judging you, but this is weird. This is, so it, it was definitely an adjustment. In 2016, Sofina was a senior at UCLA. My freshman year, I competed floor, um, and so they made up the routine, and I kind of put my own, like, pizzazz on it a little bit, but it wasn't, like, fully me, I guess, if you will. Um, And then sophomore and and junior, I didn't compete floor. But then my senior year, as a senior, I feel like we have a lot more of uh, feasibility to, like, do our own thing, pick our own music, do our own dance if we want to. Sofina reached out to Maria for that same energy and self-affirming love that was reminiscent of what they had back at the dance studio. 
Sofina wanted to end her last year on the UCLA gymnastics team with a bang. And with her family's help, she did. The moment when you came home and said, Mom, I'm ready to be Sofina again. And that right there was like so much excitement for me. Like, I was like, okay, let's do it. But I remember that. And then I remember first was going to the studio and telling them, like, okay, put the song here and there and oh, put a yeah, beat that here. Was fun. Then when we got the music cut, we got home and started making the choreography. That was that was an amazing, amazing moment. And I to look at the spark back in your eyes that I hadn't seen in so long, I was like, she's back. Well, I don't know how you were feeling, Mom, when when I performed it. Um, but I've said multiple times, like, it was like an out-of-body experience, like my Olympic moment. I remember the moment you called me on my cell phone and says, I'm going up. I was like, oh, fuck. And I remember telling everybody, she's going up. It's about to go, go down. down. <laughs> Combination? Wow. College gymnastics also offered Nia another shot at glory. She started competing with the Bruins in 2018, but it would be two years later when things really popped off. On her 21st birthday in February 2020, during her junior year at UCLA in just weeks before the pandemic shut down, Nia Dennis unveiled her newest floor routine. The stadium was packed. Say happy birthday, Nia! I hear it now. <laughs> yeah, somebody screamed that from the stands. Just hyping me up. Love it. <laughs> that ponytail, too, is serving, like. Thanks, sis. <laughs> Her floor routine was a nod to Beyonce's homecoming performance from Coachella. Nia gave us looks, old school dance moves, and she even stepped. She scored a 9.975 out of a possible 10 points. And then, of course, you know, the whole style was majorette dancing. Yes. Or that was where I drew inspiration from. I have a lot of family in New Orleans. We used to go every single year. So Battle of the Bands, I was in there. Yep. And that was like, to me, when I saw I was like, oh, she's about to set it off. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's immediately recognizable. Like, whether you're, you know, whether you're at an HBCU or you're just from the South. It's like, as soon as you started, you know, walking it, everybody's like, that's, yeah. we know, we know what's <laughs> we know. up. We know what's up. I love that. That's awesome. So your dad's a Sigma. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> yes. He was stepping around the house all while I was growing up. And I'm like, Dad, teach me. Like, I'm yes. trying to step. When you think about that routine, what other things might people have missed when they watch it that you're like, oh, this is the meaning of that? Okay. So at the beginning, I do my little strut, strut. And then I'm just going like this. And people are like, what is she doing? I'm spelling my name. Ah. Actually, N-I-A dot the I. That's Miss Val for you. When I came in as a freshman, she was like, you're going to spell your name. And I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, yes, it's going to be your signature, big and incursive, and don't forget to dot the I. Dot the I. I love that. Miss Val, who Nia is referring to, is Valerie Condos Field, former head coach who retired in 2019. Though Val is known for gymnastics, she did not start off there. The examples that I had of strong, successful female coaches, they were very strong, stern. Um, there wasn't a lot of warm and fuzzy with them, with their, with their athletes. And you know what? My posturing wasn't as much about having to prove myself as a female coach as it was I came from this frilly world of ballet of costumes and makeup and point shoes and tutus. And I had to like show my grit (laughs) to the world. (laughs) That grit didn't sit well with everyone. Before Nia left elite for college, Val was summoned by the UCLA gymnasts. But student athletes asked for a team meeting and for two solid hours, they gave me example after example of how my coaching style was hurtful and demeaning. And I remember at that point being conflicted because I thought, well, this is how all the other successful coaches have coached. And if I'm not going to coach like that, then I'm not going to be successful. And then the other side of my brain was saying, let's get to the big picture here. Are you trying to be demeaning? 
Are you trying to make them feel less than? Are you trying to belittle them? No, no, no. Okay, well then, then you need to change. And I didn't know what change was going to look like, but I just knew that I had to etch and sketch my style of coaching and start with a clean slate. I'm wondering if at one point you woke up and was like, wow, I all of a sudden have all of these women of color in my program. And there's things that I haven't considered yet about how you mentor girls of color. I'm going to come clean. (laughs) And I haven't said this publicly. Um, I didn't realize there were differences. And when Black Lives Matter happened last year, and I took the time to call a good number of my Black athletes that had gone through our program, and I heard stories from them that I didn't know. And I honestly, and I know that I'm not supposed to say I don't see color because I know I'm supposed to see color so that I can, I can really honor what the different cultures have gone through. Um, I just saw them as lovely young humans that are going to develop into these champions in life and go make the world a better place. Had I been more clued into the differences in culture and how our different athletes were brought up, um, I could have been much more helpful. Val may not have recognized the differences, yet she was still complimented for celebrating the team's diversity. Bart Connor, who was commentating for CBS at the national championships, came up to me and said, you know, Miss Val, you've got the most diverse team out there. And I thought he was talking about our colors. And He said, no, I'm not talking about their ethnicity. I'm talking about the fact that you celebrate each of them as their own individual selves instead of cookie cutters of each other. He said, you've proven that when you celebrate diversity, it is actually unifying versus divisive. And I I was like, you could not have given me a better compliment. But it wasn't intentional. Like I just did an interview. Though Val was proud of having a diverse team, Making space for those different type of athletes was not her first impulse. For Val, it was all about selling the sport of gymnastics. And she saw the value of floor routines that featured Black culture and capitalized on it. Once I shifted my mindset to gymnastics as entertainment, athletics as entertainment, without people in the seats, you cease to exist. So how am I going to fill Poly Pavilion in Los Angeles? How am I going to do that? Um, so I started thinking about our, our meets as productions of entertainment, the viral videos. I realized after Sofina went viral, I understood the magic equation and it was relatability. You had to have music that was relatable. You had to have had to have style of dance that was relatable because you're not going to go viral to 150 million people by only tapping into the gymnastics fans. But if you look at every routine that has gone viral, relatable music, relatable movement, and joy. Definitely the joy. And I would just say, when you say relatable music, relatable uh, dance, even with Caitlin, it's all Black music, right? Because I, I was literally sitting here and trying to think of like the viral gymnastics routines, and I'm not sure I can think of one that wasn't done by a woman of color. I would agree with you. And see, Amira, I, like, I've never even thought about that. <laughs> and while Val didn't intend to make the UCLA program more Black, the gymnast certainly did. I know you were choreographing for your teammates around that time, and I want to know if you were the choreographer behind Caitlin's routine. Yes, I was. Wow, kudos to you. Thank you. That's Hallie Mosette who choreographed Caitlin Ohashi's 2018 viral floor routine and numerous other routines for UCLA. 2018 was my fifth year and I had done like 20 something routines that year. But before that I did, I I don't even know. I I couldn't tell you, but I had done a lot (laughs) of floor routines. You know, part of being a choreographer is for the person who's doing the choreography to blow up and get famous off of the work. I'm, Totally fine with that. But just put a little respect on my name. Exactly. Just a little. Internally, did you get things in recognition? Absolutely. Especially from my teammates that I did the routines all four years. Some with Val, some without her. 
my teammates have always been very grateful for me helping them. And I think everyone knows. Hallie also had her own viral floor routine while at UCLA in 2017. I was not trying to go viral. Even though I had seen Sophina do it the year before me, I was so proud of her and I thought it was amazing. But I, I, I didn't go into it with the mindset that I was going to get famous off the routine. I, I wanted to start the routine with a black power fist because I felt like that was pushing a boundary for me. I wanted to do the Beyonce single ladies choreography because I liked it. Well, you reference Queen B, nothing but A's for Mosette. A fitting conclusion to a comprehensive victory for UCLA. 9975. I think from the outside, people are always curious about UCLA in terms of the fact that, like, the labor on the ground is on the backs of y'all, particularly black women athletes in the program. And then it seems like there's this level where it becomes the marketing department. It becomes who's tweeting about it. It becomes who gets to be front and center claiming credit for it, who often aren't you guys. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a, is a huge thing. And so I think it's so important for you to claim the labor that you did, both as a choreographer, but also as a gymnast. But it shouldn't have taken that long for people to put some respect on your name. Thank you. I appreciate that. I felt like Beyonce, when she, like, did that Super Bowl performance, like, that was, that inspired me so much. And I felt like my routine was influenced by the culture and I did it for the culture. And I don't think that it was advertised as for the culture by the institution. I think that people realized that it was for the culture and we made it for the culture. But when I was advertised, you know, I was like, oh, look at this diva. I was always meant to put on a diva persona for the videos that we had. And I don't want to say that the black women are used as propaganda. I'll say it. The black women are used as propaganda. (laughs) But I will say that when we go viral, you know, they know that they're in their bag. Chris Waller replaced Val as the new head coach at UCLA in 2019. But for the last few months, UCLA gymnasts Marzetta Frazier and Sakai Wright have shared with various publications that UCLA is not living up to its so-called woke image. Instead, they say that the college program upholds a racist culture reminiscent of that found in elite gymnastics. UCLA is not the only culprit here. Other Black gymnasts have told similar stories about their college programs, including Tia Kiaku from the University of Alabama, Keitra Hunter from the University of Florida, and Ashley Lambert from the University of Nebraska. While going viral has afforded Black gymnast opportunities both on the floor and behind the scenes, college gymnastics is not a utopia. Like elite gymnastics, collegiate programs are institutions, and neither were built with the athlete's well-being in mind. Despite it all, Black girls continue to transform the sport. In January 2021, about a year after her first viral floor routine, Nia reminded us what gymnastics could look like with a second viral routine. You know, just in case we missed it the first time. So you have some uh, Cali love in there, you have some Tupac. The whole thing, like you said, was just like so incredibly black. Yeah, let's let it resonate, let it simmer, let it No, sit. this was blackity black. This was like... <laughs> Period. <laughs> and, and this went viral too. Yes, man. Deetra had a chance to preview Nia's second viral routine, and she was hesitant about the direction Nia was taking it. 
I'll be honest with you. So as a person, as a black woman in America, I've, I have assimilated. Right. And so I've had to meet social, certain social norms in the workplace and and raising my family and just in general. And I said to Nia, so she starts that routine where she takes a knee and she raises a fist. And I said to her, Nia, would would you consider placing your hand over your heart like you are um showing pride to the American flag. And she said, no, mom, I'm not, I'm not being white at this moment, I'm being black. After I got over the initial shock, I was so proud that she did not conform to the society, societal norms, and she, she wanted to bring forth that message, that message of black excellence. Nia gave us music, she gave us a look, she gave us that high pony and lashes all in the middle of a pandemic. First of all, your face was beat. The first <gasps> thing I noticed when this went viral, I said, do y'all see Nia's makeup? Oh, oh my God, thank you. Look at, I mean, look. My lashes though. Everything, everything. I was like, this girl. <laughs> As you can see, there's no fans here, so right, it's way so quieter. It. Yeah, we really had to create that energy. Mm-hmm. And so now you've already dealt with a little bit of, of viralness, but this, you know, this also blew up, right? I think it had like yeah, eight point something nine million views on Twitter. Like it was, it was everywhere. What was that like to have this, like the importance of this one, especially, um, catch people's eyes? Like I said, black culture and gymnastics is not common. It's not really recognized. And that's what I wanted to do. And especially for people who don't know gymnastics, people who are involved in the sport or understand. And that's why I was even getting so many questions like, why isn't everybody's routine like this? Or why doesn't everybody do have music like you or something like that? And it's because, you know, I really wanted to make make a difference, make a change. My biggest message is that I want everybody to be authentic to themselves and I want them to thrive in their own culture and their own light and then their own energy. Whatever makes them them, that's what I was really trying to get across. But, you know, I'm black, so. Right. <laughs> I was like, that was easy. The parents are selling their kids to that sport. That's just straight up. It, it's just, it's the nature of the sport unless you are going against the grain. I just remember thinking to myself, uh, we survived, we survived this regime. At UCLA, Black girls like Sophina and Nia were able to carve out a space that let them be themselves in ways rarely seen in other parts of the sport. And because of the success of the program, it had ripple effects across the entire collegiate scene. The 2022 college gymnastics season has continued to give us viral floor routines from Black gymnasts like Trinity Thomas and Nia Reed from the University of Florida and Jordan Childs and Sakai Wright from UCLA. These viral moments are clear examples of how Black gymnasts are finding doors that are slightly ajar and throwing them wide open. They are strutting into the room and using their visibility in a myriad of ways. Sophina going into the world of entertainment and taking it by storm. I mean, did you see her flip and fly in that Gatorade commercial? Hallie is a coach and choreographing her own routines at Long Island University, with credit. Sakai and Marzetta raising their voices and pushing institutions to do better, all while serving viral videos of their own. And let's not forget Nia, bringing Black girl magic to the steps of the Met Gala with a gymnastics twist. In the next episode of American Prodigies, we're going to talk about Simone Biles, the gymnast that has surpassed all others. And just to mention on the back of her leotard, not sure if you guys saw that, there's a little goat. Yes. In rhinestones. What does that mean? (laughs) The goat is using her visibility. Simone is standing up for herself and the survivors of a system with a reputation for chewing athletes up and spitting them out. It means exactly 
what she is. She is the greatest gymnast of all time, and she has a lot more to do. This episode of American Prodigies was reported and hosted by me, Amira Rose Davis. Story editing and production by Jessica Luther. If you want to hear more of my interviews with gymnasts, subscribe to Blue Wire's Apple Podcast subscription channel. Along with ad-free episodes, you can listen to my full interview with Hallie Mosette. Search Blue Wire and Apple Podcasts for access to all the extended interviews. It's free for the first seven days. Subscribe today. This episode featured archival audio from Pac-12 Networks, Big Bang Music, UCLA Athletics, NBC Sports, and the Met Gala. Jessica Bodiford and Kelly Hardcastle-Jones are our senior producers. Sound design, mix, and mastering by Camille Stennis. Isabel Jocelyn, Kayla Stokes, and Jordan Liggins provided production assistance. Fact-checking was done by Mary Mathis and Jessica Luther. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. We had research help from Shawetha Sharendran, Miriam Khan, and Mary Mathis. American Prodigies is executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yales. Because like I had never had a, a kiss before, and so I remember in, in my my prom date was like, oh, um, like I want like to end the night, like I want to kiss, and I was like, what kind of girl do you think I am to give you a kiss at the end of prom? Like I was so mad, but then going into college, I was I was like, whoa, this is a lot. Well, well, now that you said prom, remember prom? Oh yeah, oh, that's was another rose colored glasses. And oh my god. <laughs> Let's, okay, so, okay, so let's tell them the story. Yeah, okay. okay, tell them the story. You broke your back and you got on the varsity dance team and nobody knew you. Everybody kept thinking you were this new girl, but prom was coming. And I was like, guys are going to be scared to ask her to the prom. And I don't want my daughter not going to the prom. But I told Susie, who's the most popular guy that everybody wants to go to the prom with? And she's like, oh, Shaq, he's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. This is what we're going to do. You go to Shaq and you say, look, you are going to be taking my sister to the prom. <laughs> and then you remember, do you remember when you came home and says, mom, can you believe a football player asked me to the, remember? And he gave me flowers. I didn't know. And you're like, what? What? No, what? No. Girl. I'm so bad. Susie I'm and I planned bad. it out for a week. So we had to. And then to. come to find out, you said if that wasn't going to work, you were going to find me a date at the mall. <laughs>